0: From him and through him and to him are all things. I've had that truth ringing in my ears and I feel like in my soul as I think about a number of things in our congregation, this little family of faith here, how our beloved pastor, as Rich has reminded us, our associate pastor Benjamin tied the knot up in Grove City College yesterday to the beautiful Priscilla. Um, we had a fantastic time there, a God-honoring time, and uh, thanks to many who came out to support him there. Uh, please do be praying for, for his honeymoon, um, wedding, and, uh, and, and all of the joy uh, before uh, the Morascos. We're so very grateful. As we process through all of that goodness, I've also been thinking about Lori Martin and her passing. Lori, a faithful, faithful follower of Christ here at Friendship Community Church uh, for so many years. Pastor Rick, who continues uh, to be a blessing to our congregation, is officiating her uh, memorial service on Tuesday. Um, And so we've got joy juxtaposed with sorrow, and then I uh, bumped into Dustin before I I came up today. His wife, Nicole, is uh, pregnant, as well as Marley, uh, Adair, Uh, both of those due dates very soon approaching So we've got a joy of a wedding and the loss of a loved one and the hope of new life, and these things are just a sampling of what's happening in our lives right here this week. God's promise, the promise that we've just declared together, as Brandon led us, is that He is over all of it, that it will all ultimately serve Him, to Him be the glory of God forever. And this is the God whose word is before us today. How we need him. How we need his grace and truth in our lives. And so I'm just going to ask as we prepare to read our Bibles one more time and just unpack them together as we're working our way through the book of Luke, I just want to ask that you would earnestly go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to open our eyes to behold His glorious truth by the power of His Spirit. He can do that. He delights to answer that prayer. So let's ask Him now. Father, Your Word is before us. Your Spirit is within us. Those of us who have trusted in Jesus, Your Son, for salvation. And our simple plea now is that You would open our eyes to hear His words, as truth. The courage to to walk them out, Father, the perspective to let the things of this world fade into the background as we fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, would you guard us from error and guide us in your truth? In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Let me invite you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter 12. We're at the very end of Luke 12. We'll be picking it up in verse 49. Luke 12, 49, if you're using the church Bible and the seat back in front of you, that's found on page 819. Luke 12, beginning in verse 49, Lord willing, we'll, we'll button up chapter 12 here this morning. And I'm wondering, as we prepare our hearts to read, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, I'm sure many of you have, that someone or perhaps even something went out with a bang? You heard that one? Well, Jesus' teaching here at the end of Luke 12 doesn't so much go out with a bang so much as it goes up in a raging ball of fire. One commentator describes it this way, Luke 12 ends with a fiery blaze of judgment and an urgent warning to find safety in Christ before it's too late. Suffice it to say here, at the end of Luke chapter 12, Jesus is in warning mode. And we would do well, church, to listen carefully to what our Master says. Let's read together now, Luke 12, beginning in verse 49. The Master tells us, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat. And it happens, you hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourself what's right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. These are God's words to us, His people. I guess you could say, concerning Jesus' comments here, that they are downright incendiary, like literally incendiary. Here's the line that Jesus gives us at the beginning of verse 49. I came to cast fire on the earth. And would that it were already kindled. Yikes. Jesus has come, according to him, to throw, that's literally another way that that verb can be rendered, to throw or to cast or to send out fire on the earth. So what's he mean by that? Well, fire is a very common picture used in Scripture to represent God's divine judgment what he's talking about here is the fire of god's righteous wrath and it's not just that this fire flinging impulse is some sort of side project that jesus has look at his desire here in verse 49 he's so yearning for this to happen this this fire to be kindled, that, that he wishes it were already here, that it will already ablaze. In fact, what Jesus is giving here is really a sort of purpose statement that according to Christ himself is part of the very reason why he came. He says, I came, or I have come, to do this very thing, to cast fire upon the earth. Now, some of you are saying, "Wait, wait a minute, <laughs> This this doesn't quite sound right to me. We're talking about the Jesus of the Bible? Yeah, we're reading his words, right? Jesus is saying part of the reason why he appeared was to cast fire. Part of his purpose for being on the earth is judgment. Now, that's certainly not the only thing that Jesus came to do. Jesus also said that, this was a reason why he came. I came, he says later in Luke's own gospel, Luke 19, 10, to seek and save the lost. Aren't you glad? I came, Jesus continues elsewhere, that they may have life and have it more abundantly. John 10:10. 10, 10. I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Matthew 5:17. I came to bear witness to the truth, John 18, 37. I came into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness, John 12, 46. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that Jesus had many reasons for coming into the world, And this shouldn't be hard for us to understand, after all. We do things all the time with multiple reasons, for for multiple purposes. For instance, here's just a simple example in the life of our uh, family here, Friendship Community Church. Many of you came to our What's Next meeting a couple weeks back, where we had more than one major objective. The leaders, the elders of FCC wanted to to cast some vision. We wanted to share with you what we've been burdened for and praying through for many, many months now. We wanted to share some vision. We also wanted to get input from you and how helpful it was for us to begin to share what we've been praying and wrestling through and get some of your impact. And, And we're still asking for it, by the way, all kinds of input about some of the things that are on the horizon. That's not all. We intended that meeting to specifically be carved out as a time for prayer. Because unless the Lord builds the house, you know, we're just striving in vain. And so that's, that was a big part of our time together, just praying throughout that meeting. So was the purpose of our meeting then to pray? Yeah, I just told you it was. The purpose of our meeting was to pray. Ab- absolutely. That was one of the highest priorities of our time together a few weeks back as we met. But was prayer the only thing? No, this wasn't merely a prayer meeting. There was lots of other things going on as well. You see what I'm trying to say? The point is, we do this, and so did Christ as He walked this very sod 2,000 years ago. We can't buy into, friends, this lopsided view of Jesus he came for grace. He came to bring salvation. Hallelujah, absolutely. No questions asked. He came to bring life abundantly. And He also came to bring the righteous fire of God's wrath. We're just reading His words, right? We should tremble, church, as we consider The awful prospect of a holy and perfectly righteous God and his just anger against our sin. Remember what Jesus said earlier in the chapter, don't fear those who can kill the body. You're like, "Uh, are you sure, Jesus? Because that sounds like a pretty bad deal. He continues, I'll tell you who to to fear. You should fear the one who, after killing the body, can throw your soul in hell. Now, if you're tempted to hear these words from your Savior as harsh or heavy-handed, then friends, you've got the wrong Jesus. Because immediately after he said, I came to kindle a fire, God's fiery judgment on the earth, he says this, just keep reading the very next verse, verse 50. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now, obviously, Jesus is not talking about his water baptism here. Why? Because he already did that, like back in chapter 3. He's been baptized. He's not talking about that. The baptism that Jesus is talking about here in chapter 12 is his death. His suffering and death on that cross. Jesus is talking about how he's going to be baptized. He's going to be swallowed up. He's going to be engulfed by, subsumed under the waves of death. It's like he says in Mark 10, 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. As James and John were jockeying for positions, let us sit on your right and left hand, Jesus. He said, you don't know what you're talking about. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized? Huh. With the baptism with which I am baptized. Well, the cup... That Jesus drank was the cup of God's wrath. Back to that in a minute. What we see again here in this passage is what's sometimes referred to as a holy impatience in Jesus. A perfect yearning for right things of God. Just as he yearns for the justice of God to fully take effect, he's also distressed, he says in verse 50. He's burdened until this baptism is accomplished. Note, if you will, the certainty. Jesus says, my baptism will be accomplished. Was the cross a sure thing? Oh, You betcha. Jesus knew why he was here and what he was doing. It will be accomplished. And isn't it, friends, a tremendous comfort to us that Jesus desired not only the judgment of the world, but also his own baptism to come? How are these connected? Well, well, because listen, the fire of judgment that he's about to throw on the earth is the very same fire that he's about to be baptized into. In other words, Jesus tasted the fire of judgment that he had come to bring. Do you see it? This is, this is the gospel. Jesus says, fire is coming and I'm here to absorb it. I'm here to, to bracket you from its burning, consuming wrath so that you don't have to feel it. He is the one, FCC, who presents his body to be burned by the righteous wrath of God. This is the very essence of the gospel. Welcome to Christianity. The wrath of God deserves, it demands your death. The wages of sin, yours and mine, is death. It's eternal separation from a holy and perfect God. That's baseline. And yet, Jesus coming for that righteous judgment, offers up His own body to it so that you and I can live. This is why we sing, right? This is why we're here on a Sunday morning. He is our substitute. He is our Savior. It's only because the judge had come for judgment that we can sit here because he absorbed it on our behalf. This is just Christianity 101. Let's, let's keep rolling. Pick it up in verse 51. Jesus continues with these rather incendiary comments. He says in verse 51, Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? Now, if he stopped there, guess what my answer would be? I've got to guess what yours would be. Do you think that I've come to bring peace? Jesus says, Nope. No, I tell you, but rather division. Now Matthew, giving a parallel account to this, gives us a little bit more color, a little bit more information. He records Jesus taking it farther and saying, I've not come to bring peace, but rather a sword. How about them apples? Now, here again, the question could be raised wait a minute. I thought Jesus did come for peace. I mean, didn't He say after all in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I mean, for crying out loud, isn't He called the Prince of Peace? We're going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that in a few weeks. Gosh, it's like, Two weeks from now, we're into Advent. Isaiah 9-6, you know, the Prince of Peace. Well, of course, that's the answer. Of course Jesus is here. The Prince of Peace is here to lavish peace upon his people. But again, that's not the only thing he came to bring. It's just like Simeon. That old faithful man had prophesied back to an eight day old Jesus without neck control as he was in the temple for his dedication. Simeon says in chapter 2, he blessed Mary and said to his mother, Behold, this child, this, this infant child, is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. So why did Jesus come? Well, he's come to bring salvation, of course. You can't read your Bible and miss that glaring fact. But not all will respond favorably, will they, to his offer of salvation. Some will accept his The Spirit opens their eyes, the offer of salvation that Jesus has has come to bring. They will see the Prince of Peace and rejoice to receive the peace He brings. Yet others will reject Him. So this Jesus will be the dividing line. The line, as we like to say around here, between ruin and resurrection. There is ultimately and always only two responses, friends, to Jesus. Don't fool yourselves. The Apostle Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus is both the cornerstone, the, the, the solid foundation that the whole building is built upon. He's the cornerstone, and He's also the rock of offense, So he brings peace to those who receive him and a sword to those who refuse him. Verse 52. In the the following verses, this is precisely what Jesus just continues to build out. He says, From now on, in one house, there's division. Five divided, three against two and two against three. And then he, he airs out scenarios, father against son, mother against daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, verses 52 and 53. Now, what's interesting is we might expect following Jesus to generate conflict with a hostile world like out there. We, we expect that, don't we? But what Jesus is bracing us for here is a rather uncomfortable truth that hits much closer to home. His point is that putting Him first may come at a much more deep and intimate cost. Dale Ralph Davis says it this way, holding on to Jesus will Separate you from others. And not simply from any others, but from the others who matter most to you. Love for Jesus may mean that you will lose the love of those you love the most. Coming to Jesus may be only the beginning of your problems, Davis writes. You know that? Here on earth, standing for Jesus. Far from solving all of your temporal problems, maybe just the beginning. Now, it fixes your eternal problem and fills you with an otherworldly joy. But following Jesus may drive wedges between you and those closest to you your, your very own flesh and blood, the babies that you rocked to sleep and ran to soccer practice, the parents who sacrificed so much for you. And I'm not talking in hypotheticals for some of you, am I? You know exactly what Jesus is talking about. Many of you know that I enjoy fishing. And there's times when fishing, when you will strap on a pair of waders and wade out into a river or a stream to go find those elusive trout that you can't reach from shore. And sometimes you hit a patch of river where you know the current is strong. Strong enough even to put you under. But the answer is not always to avoid the current. Sometimes, in order to get to that sweet spot where those fish are, you got to wade through the current. We call it the honey hole, right? For those of us who like to fish. What am I trying to say? Church, I'm trying to say, buckle up. Here we go. Sometimes, Jesus is preparing our hearts. He's what we call in leadership, managing our expectations. Sometimes in order to follow Christ, we are going to offend those closest to us. So I'm going to wait out into the current. I'm just going to give you three landmines. Thanksgiving's coming. That might divide people, even within the context of your family gathering. Now, the first two items I'm going to list, I'm listing these on purpose. I'm not looking for a fight. Hear me. I'm not looking for a fight. I'm just saying things that are so in your face in our society today that we are forced to deal with them. Here's one. If you believe as a Christian that children are a blessing from God and that God is the very author of life. That each life is a gift given by God and endued with purpose, made in God's very image as inherently valuable. We're made in God's image. If you believe that as a Christian, then I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, you won't kill your children. That's a pretty simple statement, right? Like you almost won't even want to chuckle. But this is no laughing matter, is it? I'm not making a political statement. I am making a biblical statement about life in God's authority over it. Abortion is a sin, grievous. It's murder. And forgiveness for that sin comes just like forgiveness for every sin. But it comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. Boy, that'll split a family, won't it, here in 2023? We're voting all over the place. Ohio just voted on it. It's okay in Ohio. No one's throwing anything at me yet, so I'll keep going. If you believe that God gives us clear parameters as to who we can marry and who we can and cannot go to bed with. Oh, he's going there. You are going to make some major enemies in 2023. Now, these two issues, friends, homosexuality, gender dysphoria, all kinds of stuff wrapped up there, and abortion, just, just these two issues are lightning rod issues in our society today. And listen, they're not even at the core of what it means to be a Christian. These are just simple truths that derive from what God has told us about who He is and how we are to operate as His people. Now, These are almost like ancillary side issues as in your face as they are for us today. Let me give you one more. This one's bottom line. This this thing is at the very core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And this one, friends, your family and society at large might see as supremely offensive. Namely this, that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Amen. Right. That coexist sticker might look real trendy on the back of your Prius. But it doesn't work out. It doesn't shake out in eternity. Jesus said, God says about His Son, This is the testimony. Here's the story, God's story of truth in Scripture, that God gave us eternal life, and that life is in His Son. And whoever has the Son of God has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God, you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Now, You want to lob a hand grenade in your Thanksgiving dinner conversation? Pick one. Again, friends, I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just repeating simple, elementary, fundamental things about what the gospel is and means and basic truths about who God is and how He tells us to operate. And I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I would be willing to wager that nearly every family in this room has been impacted by one of these three simple things. I don't mind ass. I have members of my own family, my own flesh and blood, who will not speak to each other over this stuff. So, friend, set your expectations Accordingly. Though your heart may be broken, though there will be some, even those closest to you, who will not abide this kind of truth, who will not submit to Jesus as Lord. The million dollar question is for you and for me as followers of Jesus who's going to win your allegiance? Are you going to side with your family? your friends, with the societal pressures, or are you going to stand with your Maker and your Savior? You know, there's an interesting phenomenon. Many of us will applaud, actually, when we hear about a new believer who comes to Christ overseas, perhaps in a predominantly Muslim community or country, And in order to follow Jesus in a society that is hostile to Jesus, their entire family says to them, if they don't kill them, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. And what do we do here in southwestern Pennsylvania? We read these stories, we hear these testimonials, and we say, wow! What a testimony of their love and their allegiance to Jesus. True. And yet, listen now, yet, when people in our very own family do the same thing to a much lesser degree towards us, when our neighbors across the street or our co-workers or our friends at school refuse to associate with us for standing with Jesus in his truth. If we confess, rather than celebrating like we do with that convert from the Middle East, we are tempted to be blown right off kilter, aren't we? Wait a minute. How is this even happening in my family? Friends, it's not wrong to be grieved by your loved ones who choose for righteousness' sake, for Jesus' sake, to cut you out, to cut you off, to see you as less than, to hold you at arm's length. Though that may be true, we must not, as followers of Jesus, be unduly swayed. Why? Because He told you. He told you this would happen. I came to divide," Jesus said. "I came to give your soul peace, but not your family. Not if they won't submit to me. Let's not be caught off guard. I'm not. T- Please hear me. I'm not telling you on Thursday to go looking for fights. Please don't hear that. I'm not telling you." To hop on the socials and press caps locks and have at it, you keyboard warrior. I'm not saying that. (laughs) Especially with regard to every point of secondary doctrine that you happen to hold so tightly to. What I am saying is this. Jesus told us, let's manage our expectations appropriately. There will be division, and it's going to hit real close to home. And the gospel truth is, friends, He's worth it. Jesus is worth it. Eternal life is worth it. The joy that He gives you by the power of His Spirit will supersede the sorrow, the loss that you experience here in this life. He's worth it. Let's pick it back up in verse 54. Jesus shifts, if you will, to a different word picture. Rather than fire and division and the family, he points to the skies to drive his point home. Jesus says, you know how to read the skies to interpret the weather. A south wind at this part of the globe would mean blowing up from the deep desert... Boy, would it bring scor- scorching heat with it. And, and you could see the, the clouds billowing from the seaside to bring rain. didn't take a, a genius to figure out just basic weather patterns. Most of us have got that down. And it's as if Jesus is saying here, some of you make better meteorologists than you do disciples. That's what he's telling the crowd. You're able to see and anticipate what's coming with your physical eyes, but you are clueless when it comes to the deeper realities of eternity that are playing out right in front of you. And truthfully, sheepishly, I can raise my hand and say, Guilty. Can you? We are hardwired to see the physical, to exalt that which we can touch and feel and empirically explain. Yet Jesus is showing up. And He's saying to those who hear His words and His teaching that a judgment by fire is coming from God. And if they're unwilling or unable to see that judgment brewing, that spiritual storm gathering on the horizon, boy, oh boy, there will be an eternal reckoning to pay. Ask yourself this question, Friendship Community Church, if they, without the full counsel of God's Word, without the empty tomb, without the indwelling Holy Spirit, if they should have seen clearly and known clearly what was happening in front of them, how much more should we? Remember Jesus' words from last week. The more light, the more revelation that He gives. This is frightening. The more responsibility we have to walk in that light and to respond. Don't just look at your physical bearings around you, Jesus says. See and understand who I am and what I've come to bring. Have your heart's posture, your life's posture, if you will, be oriented toward eternity. And lastly, in these final few verses in chapter 12, verses 57 to 59, Jesus essentially says, Settle up. Or pay up, settle up, or pay up. So we wrap up chapter twelve. It, it's interesting this curious little segment that Jesus says about you know the settling with your accuser as you're going to court. It almost seems a bit out of place, doesn't it? With what Jesus has been talking about up to this point, almost seems non sequitur. There's fifty-seven. And why do you not judge for yourself what's right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out till you've paid the very last penny. What's going on here? I mean, just Jesus take a total rabbit trail? at the end of chapter 12? No, I don't think so. Jesus seems to be saying that we had better settle up before the time comes when we're going to be forced to pay up, because that's a price, friend, you really don't want to pay. Now, on the surface level, there is some common sense wisdom here I mean, if you find yourself in a situation like this, a a legal bind, where you're guilty and your accuser is dragging you to court, it is advantageous for you to settle rather than digging in your heels and catching the heavy from the government. I like how Philip Ryken puts it. He said, there are times when it is better for a defendant to go through all the trouble of the legal proceeding. This is especially true when he's innocent and has a good chance of winning his case. But when the defendant is guilty, there is no way to mount a defense. In that case, it's always more advantageous to settle out of court. Otherwise, the guilty party will end up suffering the full payment for his crime. Now, sure, this is relatively good practical legal advice. But is that really what Jesus is intending to do for us? Is Jesus... Merely intending to drop a little good legal counsel on your laps here at the the end of Luke 12? Yeah, I think not. Don't forget the context of what Jesus has been talking about for like this whole chapter. When When you see Jesus' words and you're interpreting them in light of the surrounding text, the the proper context, the the reality of what Jesus is saying here about this courtroom scene and settling out of it becomes pretty clear, I think. Jesus has been telling us all along about the final judgment, about the importance of understanding who he is and what he's come to do. I'm casting a fire on the earth. You don't want to taste it. I've got a baptism to be baptized in so you don't have to. This settling of accounts then that Jesus is talking about here is ultimately about us getting right with eternal God, with with Almighty God before it's too late and before we are forced to pay off our eternally steep debt to God down to the last penny. Now, how long do you think that's going to take? Uh, about eternity. So, let's ask the obvious question on the, on the back end of Luke chapter 12. Have you settled your account with a holy and righteous God, the one who will bring your sins to bear on the day of judgment? Is Jesus your Savior? That's what I'm asking. I know many of you, and you're you're nodding, your, your heads are, yes, I'm guilty. It would be right for God to consign me to an eternal hell of conscious torment. It's what my sins deserve. And yet because Jesus climbed up on that cross and died my death, He took my place and gave me His life, I am free Yes, that is the baseline reality of my life and my eternity. Praise God. It's what Jesus has come to say. It's what he's teaching here. And if that's not true of you, or if you don't know if that's true of you, I just want to appeal to you on the basis of your eternal soul. Don't leave here with that question mark still looming. Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. And this is what we do here at Friendship Community Church. We 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 come to sing songs to Jesus who rescues us from what we deserve for eternity. We come to say, Lord, thank you that I'm settled up with my accuser that the debt has been paid, that Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. You don't need to jump through any hoops if you've not done that yet. He's listening. He knows a word before it's on your tongue. And if you would merely submit to Him in faith today, the promise of Scripture to you is You're saved, eternally safe. i got to tell you, I had a, um, a harrowing moment this weekend. Things got real for me. It was Thursday night, and I was just settling down to crank out some work. Typical Thursday. Kids were in bed. Lindsay was out with the older two boys. And as the four littles were sleeping upstairs... I'm like settling into my chair with my coffee and my Greek textbook in front of me. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually fun. I'm, I'm a geek. But I, I, I began to hear our dog outside barking. Now, he's a knucklehead, but this was a different kind of bark. He doesn't bark like this often. It was an aggressive bark. It was an alarming bark. And I thought, huh. Sometimes there's a pesky raccoon that'll try to get on our porch and steal the food out of his bowl. I thought, oh, man, that raccoon's going to get it. But he kept on going. And then my neighbor's dog, a few houses down, started to bark. And I thought, something's not right. And so I stood up out of my chair, and I walked to the door to see what was going on. And as I looked through our glass door, I could see a big SUV pull up around the side of our house and out of the passenger side of that SUV stepped an officer holding an assault rifle. And he was not out for an evening stroll. And he proceeded to creep around the side of my house and I'm thinking, What in the world is happening right now? So I locked the door and snuck upstairs and pulled out my handgun and sat in the bathroom (laughs) so that if anybody came in my house and came up those stairs, I was going to get them before they were going to get my babies. Typical Thursday. (laughs) I'm supposed to be studying for my Greek final exam. I'm like, what is going on here? And I call 911. And I say, hey, an officer just stepped out in front of my house with an assault rifle, and he's sneaking around in my backyard. What's going on? And she told me a whole lot of nothing, right? Settle down, stay where you are. When the issue gets resolved, there's an incident in your neighborhood. When the incident gets resolved, we'll have the East Washington Police Department give you a call. I'm like, okay, all right. And I hung up the phone. (laughs) I'm sitting on the toilet with my handgun, just waiting. (laughs) I'm not making this up. Let me tell you, friend, I had a lot of time to think about what really matters in that moment. I didn't know what was about to happen. But things got real for me there. I was reciting Psalm 27 over and over and over again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It was a reminder for me that you never know when your moment's coming. Now, I'll just relieve the tension. It was nothing. Our our neighbor, two houses down, had gone away on vacation. And they got an alert when their house sitter came to see, to check in on their house. I don't know, feed their animals, do whatever. There was someone inside their home. And she called 911. And so they came out to check it out. And the people in the house were had ordered a pizza and were watching TV. We think it was probably just high schoolers partying, family friends, well, I don't know. No, no cause for alarm. We're okay. The point was, my point is, you don't know what's around the bend any more than I do. This isn't a scare tactic. It's a simple appeal. Jesus Christ came to teach the black and white truth that you are guilty and you don't want to spend eternity paying off your eternal debt to God. It's why He came. It's why He died. That's why we're here. That's why He's everything to us. He will Kindle a fire on the earth. It's coming. And the testimony of the Christian faith is, because he tasted his own flames for me, I'm safe. I'm free. I can't think of a better way to close as we round out the end of Luke 12 and prepare our hearts for Thanksgiving than with the With the hymn, the modern hymn, called In Christ Alone. It's a favorite around here. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. That's grace. That's the gospel. That's Christianity. Jesus would willingly come to be baptized into God's wrath that we could have life forevermore. And if that's your truth, I hope you'll pray and sing with me now. Father, we love you. And we thank you for Jesus. For this righteous, perfect God-man. Your very image, the exact representation of the Godhead, eternal God, very God, come to absorb in his own body on the tree our sins. God, thank you for Jesus. He is all we have. All our hope, all our joy, all our faith is in his work on the cross, And we pray, Lord, that we would glory in his gospel. That we would sing with reckless abandon now and throughout the rest of our days in Christ alone. That's where my hope is found. Lord, make us thankful, people, because we who were lost and guilty are now free and found in Christ. We love you. We pray that you'd send us out with your spirit to carry this light and truth. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with me, please?